Views expressed on this program are those of the sponsors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Indices mentioned are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Asset allocation and diversification strategies cannot assure profit or protect against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Capital Retirement Strategies and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated. Welcome to Plan for Life Now, episode number 79. Dave, how's everything going? Good, Steve. Hanging in there. How are All you? All right. <laughs> it's uh, like we, I'm... we talk every day. <laughs> Since we just talked right before this podcast, everything's fine. It just feels necessary that, that I've got it. 25 seconds before we started recording, things are, I just, are pretty good. I feel like listeners would be worried. They're like, Steve didn't check in with Dave, see how he was doing. But no, you're I, right. Uh, I, was also, I was actually worried that they would think that we don't communicate except at podcast, in which ah. case they would wonder, our clients would be wondering about how we're working for them. That that was my concern. Okay. That's valid. <laughs> it never crossed my mind. <laughs> Dave, how are you doing? I'm pretty good since our last pod, podcast three and a half weeks ago. How's the family? Maybe maybe nobody is reading into this nearly as much as we think they are. That's, maybe that just is most likely the case. Passively listening to it. Um, well, we are doing well. Dave, you are fully vaccinated, right? You're you're past your two week mark. I yeah, I am. I am now. Uh, my gosh, I guess I'm about eight days past my two week mark of being fully okay. vaccinated. So I'm just going on with things. And I'm half vaccinated, so I'll be, uh, I guess, another week or so, and then have my two week period. And then I can, I can have that comfort level as well. Um, so we've actually been discussing that it's possible that our next podcast we could be doing together in person. Um, for, for the first time since whenever, I think uh, the podcast we did. Interestingly enough, I could be wrong about this, but I think the last podcast we did together was one where the market was peaking before right. the crash, yeah. the coronavirus crash. And we happened to be talking about how when things are peaking, you know, be careful. I believe that was the <laughs> last one we did together, which was probably like February of 2020. Yep. Well, we'll see. We'll see if that actually happens. But Today, uh, we sort of have a, a grab bag of things to talk about. So that's always good when there's more than one thing that you want to touch on. So the first thing was something that you and I both saw on CNBC. And I thought this was interesting because we we'd kind of wondered about this and questioned this. But it talked about how advisors have communicated and changed the way that they're doing meetings during the pandemic. So, of course, you know, as all of our clients know, 
Um, we've essentially been doing virtual meetings for the last year, 14 months or so. And we've kind of wondered about this as well. It's, you know, when things get back to normal and we are able to meet per- people in person, sure, I know a lot of people are going to want to meet in person. But there are some people, and I, you know, you and I could both <laughs> think of them off the top of our heads where we meet with them, you know, maybe we meet them in our office in Tyson's and they're coming from Southern Maryland or they're coming from Stafford or something like that. And they complain about the traffic and they complain about the parking. I think there might be this shift where people just say, you know what? A virtual meeting's good enough. It's, you know, we can communicate that way. And actually, in some ways, it's actually better. Um, so we're kind of curious to see how perception and, and attitudes change in the future. Yeah. Now, well, there's always the segment of our clients who, gosh, the last time I actually met you guys in person, I lived in the D.C. area because they lived yeah. somewhere else. So we've right. always had a, a pretty, you know, as our clients uh, who retire then decide some of them to move out of the area, really out of the area. I don't mean to like Winchester. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> Florida or Arizona yep. or California. We have clients all over the country. That's all we've done are these virtual meetings. So for us, a virtual meeting is not was not a new thing that yeah. started with the pandemic. So there's that group. But yeah. So now there's the group and I've been and you and I've talked about this before that article came out. What what are our clients gonna want, you know, once this is all over and we can get together in person? My main thought is it's important for us and any other financial advisor to offer to be able to give the clients what they want, the ability. If you want, you don't feel like driving into Tyson's anymore and you want to just do this like we've been doing it during the pandemic, absolutely. That's totally fine with us. If you want to drive back in or come to one of our, and you want to see us again, yeah. (laughs) You know, I I want to do, I want to make what's easiest and what the client, or not even what the client wants from us is my number one concern. I love meeting our clients in person. Honestly, I have no problem doing these talks. I find that I was surprised. I've been surprised uh, doing them virtually that, wow, I can really, if there's a focus on the material here because that's all we're really looking at. Once we see our little bubbles in the screen and, yeah. our, and do our pleasantries, then we're really just looking at the material. And yeah. uh, you can you can get a good focus on that. Um, so I'm personally flexible, but I want what our, our clients want. And I feel this just gives some clients the, you know, the ability to, to be able to say, you know what? I I like doing the virtual. I like seeing you guys, but I don't like driving in traffic or, or at night or whatever. Exactly. And I mean, these numbers here in this article really bear this out that they show before the pandemic, Advisors were using video calls. I thought this was pretty low. It says only 2% of the time. So, you know, it was not very common to do Zoom or or any of that kind of stuff. Um, During the pandemic, that went up to 48%. So a lot of people doing, you know, Zoom or, you know, we use something different called Join Me, but it's the same idea. You know, something where you've got the, the video and then the main thing is to be able to share the computer screen so you can look at all the material while you're you're both uh, or talk about it while you're both looking at it. Um, but here's the interesting thing. 
the expectations for post-pandemic for advisors for video conferencing is 34%. So if that holds true, that's going from 2% before the pandemic to 34% after the pandemic. Wow. That's that's not surprising. Again, because when you actually do the video meeting, you get, you know, you get the same amount of information. I do think, though, there's a difference between a client that we've had, you know, they've been with us for a decade or seven years or 12 years or whatever, you know, our longtime clients yeah. who we already know, and, and then we're doing a video meeting, and instead of making a long drive or whatever, or just in traffic or they don't want to drive, or it's just easier to shift versus a new client. Yeah. So, you know, for new, we've, you know, we've gotten some new clients during this pandemic too. And quite frankly, it's worked okay on the video. But I think once you're back to not having to do that with people who are starting a new relationship with or even Mm -hmm. a newer one or they just became a client, uh, something about the in-person I think works better. But again, it's always going to be up to the client. That's the number one job of any any service industry, not just ours, the client comes first, you're doing your job right, and whatever makes it more convenient for them. Yep. All right, change gears to number two on the grab bag here for today. I I had to talk about this one just because this was such a surprise for me. I don't know if this was yesterday, the day before that I saw this. So let's rewind a bit and go back and talk about the SECURE Act. Um, I know that for a lot of people, the SECURE Act kind of got lost in the coronavirus decline, but the SECURE Act was something that was passed in December of 2019, and it changed some rules regarding when you had to start taking required minimum distributions. It also changed some rules about how inherited IRAs were treated. So if you remember the rules that they were Prior to the SECURE Act, the rule was if a non-spouse inherited an IRA, they had to take what amounts to a required minimum distribution out of that IRA over their life expectancy. So, for example, you know, my aunt passed away. I inherited a portion of her IRA. You know, I'm only 41 years old, so for a normal IRA, I'm not taking a, a distribution, but for an inherited IRA, I've got to take out a couple thousand dollars every year. So part of the changes to the SECURE Act were that inherited IRAs no longer taken over life expectancy, that they had to be distributed within a 10-year time period. And right. the way that everyone, and I say everyone, you know, this article that I'm going to post here is written by Ed Slot, who is considered to be, you know, one of the experts in IRA planning out there. Um, everyone assumed that when they said that the money had to be distributed within 10 years, that meant that by the end of 10 years, the value of the account had to go to zero. During okay. that 10 years, the assumption was that you didn't have to take any distributions. So, Honestly, we have not dealt with one of these yet because we didn't have anybody um, who inherited an IRA in 2020. So we hadn't dealt with these required minimum distributions. But 
the IRS came out with some clarification in late March, and they basically said, no, 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 you do have to take RMDs during that 10-year time period. The account value has to be at zero by the end of 10 years, but you still have to take RMDs during that 10-year time period. Uh, I don't even know what – oh, so every year there's going to be something coming out is the bottom Correct. line. So the assumption before was, Dave, you inherit a million-dollar IRA. The assumption that everyone had was that under these new rules, that sometime in the 10 years, Dave had to withdraw the million dollars in the IRA account. But it, we assumed that it, it meant you didn't have to take anything year one through nine if you didn't want to, and you could wait till year 10 and take everything in that year. And in fact, we talked about how this might present some unique planning opportunities where, Dave, let's say that you were working for the next eight years, but then in years nine of nine and ten, you weren't going to be working. Well, then your income might be lower, so you could take the distributions then. Well, the IRS clarified all that and said, no, 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 you've got to take money every single year. So, gotcha. Maybe for me, this seemed like a big deal, <laughs> but for everybody else out there, they're just shaking their head going, what the well, heck are you talking about? Well, yeah, I, well, they they basically, but still, that strategy may make sense for some people to then take the mother load of it. Yeah, yeah, you're wow, right. Tax, taxation would be lower, you know, if you're re- retiring and then, you know, your income tax rate is lower. The strategies, yeah. the strategy plays are still there. Uh, yeah, it's just not that rule together. It's going to be not quite as extreme because you're going to have to take out, you know, whatever it is, four or five percent each year along the way. Um, so it's it's not like you could just lump it all into those later years. Okay, that would only be actually interesting though. To I think hopefully a lot of our clients know that we're going to work on those strategies and they don't have to lose any sleep over that. That part. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't <laughs> obsess over it too much, but like I said, Some of that, that might one... actually get sleep from that segment. <laughs> uh in my mind that seems so important to talk about and then as I'm talking about it, I'm going, Wow, this is really wonky okay, and, and detailed. But it does just but it does illustrate all the stuff that we, the group the we collective we financial advisors have to follow and deal with as these tax rules constantly are clarified slash changing. Yep. Okay, grab bag segment number three, or topic number three. This one's a little less wonky, but uh, I think this one's really important for everyone. We've touched on this before. Uh, Dave, we've talked about why we think that a traditional 60-40 portfolio um, could could spell trouble for investors over the next, I don't know, pick a time period, 10, 15, 20 years. And if you've, if we've done a meeting with you at any point in the last couple of years, you've heard us talk about the returns, the rates of return we can expect to get on bonds. So when we talk about a 60-40 portfolio, of course, what we're talking about is 60% stocks, 40% bonds. And this has always been sort of this default traditional portfolio for a client, yeah, maybe kind of heading into retirement or a, a balanced risk kind of portfolio. 
But the problem that we've pointed out, and of course, we're not the only ones to point this out, is the fact that that 40% in bonds just isn't going to get a very good rate of return. You know, when we talk about additional returns in bonds, we're talking about, you know, 5 to 6% returns. So if you're looking at historical returns and you say, oh, great, 60-40 portfolio, oh, what's that going to get me? Probably 7, 8, you know, maybe 8.5% rate of return. Well, that might be historically accurate, but over the next 10 years, I don't think that's in any way realistic. Because yeah, Basically, because interest rates are, well, they're not at the historic lows now, but they're very low, <laughs> yep. and they're probably going to go up. Not to mention the fact that this uh, the economy, which can really start to crank for a while. Um, and remember, never equate that with me saying the stock market's going to crank. You're right. Well, a lot of times these things may not correlate at all. We'll see. Not during the, the pandemic, that's for darn sure. But anyway, yeah. so, but when you look at an economy cranking, to me, that's not a recipe also for low interest rates staying. Sure. Well, yeah. And I mean, of course, if, if a big concern in the market has been inflation starting to heat up, you know, what does the Fed do when they're, you know, the Fed, remember, has dual mandate that they're trying to control inflation and they're trying to maintain full employment. Um, to do that, of course, the, the primary tool that they use are interest rates. And if they see that inflation starting to pick up, they're going to raise interest rates and they might do it aggressively. And the whole question about, you know, will inflation pick up? Has anybody looked at the housing market out there? <laughs> and I say that, Sort of as a joke, because I think we've all heard plenty of stories from people. You know, Dave, do you have friends who are, you know, look at the housing market, trying to, to buy a house, anything like that? The housing um, market. Honestly, is it, it's, I would say I, there's a lot bigger issue in, I have a, a beach place near Bethany, okay. and that's where I'm, <laughs> I, you know, I have people, friends, because I'm at that age group when people start to think about, you know, I'm like pushing 60. People are starting to think about getting a second home in my baby boomer, <laughs> boomer age. And yeah, oh, you're down there, especially here, certainly, but there, you know, the, it's crazy. It's just yeah. crazy what's going on. Yeah. And I, I personally think that's probably one of the first indications of, I mean, what, you know, why do we have inflation? Uh, well, you have a scarcity of goods and an excess of capital of money. Well, that's exactly what's going on in the housing market right now. There's a scarcity of, of housing and there's this excess of money. And I mean, partially that has to do with the Fed pumping trillions and trillions of dollars and the, the stimulus packages um, into the economy. So my whole larger point in all of this is saying, you know, if we start to have inflation, significant inflation, the Fed is going to be aggressive in raising interest rates. And what happens to bond investors when you raise interest rates? The value of your existing bonds goes down. So this is why the discussion around a traditional portfolio, and I've even seen, you know, we've seen some research papers that take the 60-40 portfolio and say that really nowadays it should be something more like 60-20-20. 
And when they talk about this, they're saying 60% in stocks, 20% in bonds, and 20% in some alternative fixed income investment. And this could be fixed annuities. Um, but the idea is that you need that safety of bonds, but you don't want all that interest rate risk. Right. And which, which is longer term, which is why we look at our clients in that I'm not doing anything with this part of the portfolio for five, seven, ten years. Yeah. That's where the, you know, that's where it, you know, I think, I guess you and I are definitely in that 60, 20, 20 camp. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, let's say that you're somebody about to retire. You're in a 60, 40 portfolio. Not only because you're about to retire, but just because you're more of a moderate investor. You don't like to see all those ups and downs in the market there. If you've got a million dollar portfolio, that means that you've got $400,000 in bonds. Well, if you're about to retire, let's even say that you're planning on taking a 3% withdrawal off of your portfolio. Remember, the way that we always plan things is you retire, the stock market's going to crash the next day. Now you've got to take that income, that $30,000, off of your portfolio and avoid selling stocks. Well, what I said right there, you could take that $30,000 off of your bonds for many years before you'd ever have to touch your stocks. So some of that bond money is really longer-term money. And that's that's where... The discussion really should come in about, do we need to have all of this money in bonds and we're either taking interest rate risk to get some yield or we're essentially getting very little yield, but, you know, then we're, we're kind of mitigating some of that interest rate risk there. So I, I think that's just a discussion. If, if you're a client, we've already had this discussion. We've, you know, we've utilized annuities in some form to make up that remaining 20% or, or whatever it is in your portfolio. Uh, but if you're not a client, that's a discussion or, or a calculation you should be making is how much money do I need to have in bonds and how much money is really, Dave, like you said, kind of longer term safe money there. Right. Right. No. That's why you have a financial advisor. Yep. All right. Thanks for listening to the grab bag. I will post the links to all of these articles, especially that 10-year rule one. I know you guys are just dying to read more about that one, right? Um, <laughs> I'll post the link to all of those down below, and maybe, maybe next time we'll be doing this in person. Yes, we'll, we will see. We'll check in. Yeah. <laughs> Cliffhanger for us, too, because not entirely sure. But we will check in again with you soon. <laughs>